Welcome to Creative Conversations. I'm Roger Humphrey. In this episode, my guest is Ashley Corsell. Ashley is an old friend, happens to be a private music teacher in the Columbus, Ohio area. Please join us as we meet online just to talk shop. We're joining this in progress. Where's home for you originally? Well, so I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. Okay. Um, in that general area. We moved around a bunch when I was real young. But by middle school, we were pretty settled over there. Okay. So um, stayed there all the way, went to Wright State. And then once I graduated, that's when we, when Andrew and I got married and we moved up to Michigan. Gotcha. Now, did you move to Michigan? Because cause he's a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so, so we, we both um, were just finishing up our undergrads and he wanted to go to medical school. So he went to Michigan State. Right. Um, which is when I got the job at Marshall Music. Okay. Did you go to Michigan State at all? Mm-mm. No. Okay. I wasn't sure. I so we well we have so many grad students that that pass through uh, Marshall Music over the years that you for know sure. assumptions are made that perhaps shouldn't be except for the rock and rollers. I know better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always kind of thought about it like that was kind of in the back of my mind to maybe do that, but it just never really seemed like the right time. Um, plus, I mean, with him being in medical school, I needed to focus mostly on working. Sure. Um, yeah. So kind of decided to wait on that, which ultimately I'm glad I did because it kind of led me to doing more with private lessons, which is really what I found I love. So it, and that's, that's the thing, um, working with, with some of the students that I worked with at college level over the years. I mean, I, I taught a lot of people, but very few of them had had um, um, career aspirations. They were mostly just hobbyists. Um, and um, so one of the things that I realized was that if you're going to be a performer uh, with guitar or any other solo instrument, working as a soloist, uh, you need to be you need to be out there and 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 starting a career in your late teens and early 20s. If you wait until you're, <coughs> excuse me, 25, 26, 27 years old, um, you're almost too old to begin at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, so and I realized that with a bachelor's degree, that you know, you, you learn a lot, and they really there's a lot of stuff that that, that the people need, you know, just to function properly. But but to to perform, if you want to be a performer, you really need to latch on to another performer and take yeah. private lessons and and you know hang the degree. Just you know, be you know, make the connections and 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 learn the stuff that you need to learn and, and get out there and learn how to perform and and, and then do it. Go out, yeah. fail, do it again, fail some more. Go out and do it some more. You know, figure out what it's going to take to be a success. Right. And you don't and you don't get that. I'm seeing right now in the world of, of guitar, for example. I've had a couple of really interesting conversations with some some friends of mine who are performers and also teach at, I mean, they have DMAs from, you know, from prestigious schools and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's, it's kind of coming down to that same thing that, that, that unless you're going to teach at college level, you don't really need a DMA, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and if you're going to teach it, you know, pri- you know uh, in your particular case, uh, because your, your primary instrument is a, a clarinet, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so uh, in that particular case, you can go out effectively and get a band teaching job somewhere. Right. In theory. 
in theory. Right? That doesn't help you with a guitar with a guitar person. You know, you know, if you got a guitar degree, you pretty much stuck to playing and teaching guitar. That's it. You know, so um, uh, yeah, they it's it's different. I I got to a point where I was really starting to question the need uh, for guitar um, uh, majors unless 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 it was a focus on pedagogy. Yeah. And uh, yeah. other than that, I think that you know latch onto your onto a performer. You know, and become a protege or an apprentice. I like an apprenticeship right. type of thing, right. and learn the craft and the trade done that way. And uh, yeah. uh, so, I don't know how you feel about that. But. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's kind of interesting actually, because I always joke about this. But when I went, when I started at Wright State, um, like the majority of people who go into their music program, I I started with being a music education major uh-huh. with a focus in clarinet. About two years in, I realized that I just, I really did not want to teach band. <laughs> I did not want to teach band. Um, and so I switched, but I, I wanted to keep playing. I was desperate to keep playing. Like I loved every minute of that time I had in the studio. So what I did was I added a double major. Um, I added a language focus um, and I was working on French. So I was doing music in French. I switched my music degree over to performance, so I finished with a clarinet performance degree, and then my plan was to have both of those, music or clarinet and French, and then do a master's in education and work my way back around to being able to teach either French or maybe like elementary school music. Uh-huh. Um, was kind of my hope. Now that didn't end up working out because I decided not to go back for the education degree but I always joke that I was the worst performance major ever because I would get such incredible anxiety getting up on stage. Um, I actually hated performing and I, I always had, I never liked being on stage, but I loved to play. And so that's, that's really why I chose performance is I just wanted to take every second I could to be in that room playing. And that's kind of what I did for those next two years when I finished my degree. Gotcha. Yeah, I um, uh, I've always had a love-hate relationship with performance, um, and I, I know people who uh, just absolutely love being on stage. I mean, they just live for it, and and I've never had that. You know, I'm very comfortable not being on stage. And and when I was um, I don't and when I was in high school, um, and that was back when I was still a folk singer. I was a singer, not a guitar player, so much, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, and I know that, that a couple of groups that I got into, um, and in, and in subsequent to high school, even a couple of groups then, um, when I sang, um, I always sang harmony. I didn't want to sing lead ever, you know, just I'll, I'll stand over here in the shadows a little bit, you know, and, uh, and, and I was always much more comfortable there than I was taking the lead. I've taken the lead. I've done, as a matter of fact, I've been a soloist for so many years now. I don't heart, uh, you know, there've been some exceptions, you know, like when I'm working with Lisa Moore, the flutist, you know, and we do some stuff, but. But um, aside from that, uh, I've been a soloist and, you know, playing at weddings and things like that was kind of nice because I'd sit over in the corner someplace or in the back of the room somewhere and I'd, I'd play, but I didn't have people watching me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, but yeah, I always get real, real uncomfortable when people are watching. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I always thought it was kind of a duty, I guess, if you're going to, if you're going to play at a certain level, you sort of have an obligation, I guess, to, to, to go out and perform. 
Um, and I, quite frankly, I, at this stage of my life, I think that's hooey. <laughs> it's just like, I just, nah, <laughs> I, you, know, you don't owe it to anybody. Uh, but I really kind of thought that I did somehow, you know, um, uh, and I've never been able to shake that feeling. I can, I can, I can shake it intellectually, but I can't shake it emotionally. I, I still feel like I'm not out there doing something that I'm somehow, you know, I don't know what I just, I feel like I'm cheating in life at that point. So it's, it's, it's a weird feeling. I have students. It took me a long time, but I have some students uh, that I recognize now as people who love to play, but really don't ever want to perform. But they, you know, they would if, if I, I make them play in the student recitals when they're younger, because I think that that's an experience that everybody should have, even if you hate it. Um, and I, I've, what I've said over the years is that if you learn how to do that, even though you're nervous, then later on when you're an adult, you might find yourself in a speaking position, you know, something that you, everybody hates. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's like that a fear of speaking, public speaking, I think ranks right up there with fear of heights. Yeah. I'm serious. It's, I mean, it's yeah, very, I've heard that before. And and uh, so the idea of saying, OK, I hate public speaking, but, you know, you know, in the back of your mind, because you've been through a couple of these recitals, then it's going to be OK. You can, yes. and, and that it's OK to hate it. <laughs> yes, exactly. You can tell people I hate this. I'll do it. But I hate it. You know, and, and it's and and, uh, and you find out from other people, you know, everybody feels kind of the same way. So, so I, I make my students when they're young uh, play in a couple of recitals, and then after that, you know, I, I want, and most of them don't mind, you know, every once in a while I get, you know, but I do have, I've had students that have been with me for years and years and years and just don't ever, ever care to play in public again. They yeah. just, you know, it's. Well, it's interesting because, you know, as much as I, I, I've, I always hated getting up on stage, I always hated it because I'd get so nervous. But now as a teacher, I, I absolutely make all of my students do it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it is invaluable for the confidence you gain of just going through it and just knowing that, you know, you did you did it. You were scared. You got up on stage. You did it anyways. And you lived. You survived it. You know, <laughs> you survived it. You were uncomfortable, but you did it. And, and more often than not, you actually did really well. Um, no matter how you maybe feel about it in the moment, you know, there's a, I like this three day rule that I heard and it was somebody who, who doesn't do music, but they paint. And so their rule is that when they get to a point with their painting where they either don't know what to do to fix it, or they think they're done, they just leave it sitting somewhere where they can see it and they don't touch it for three solid days. And that will just eventually it shines a new light on it. So, you know, you might hate it in the moment. You come back the next day. Like, oh, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. Three <laughs> days later, your mind might be totally different. Actually, I really like that. That's really good. I did a good job with that, you know, or vice versa. You might feel like something's good and you come back three days later like, oh, actually, I might need to fix this. <laughs> <laughs> but it really reveals a lot and it gives you a chance to have a good look at yourself and what you're doing and what you're offering. Um, and, and I don't know that there's really another way of gaining that kind of experience through at least some performance. Uh, I, I think, yeah, pretty much the same thing. It's, it's uh, one of the things that I teach the kids, um, the little ones particularly, they always ask, you know, what do I do if I make a mistake? And, uh, and, and I say to them, 
well, first off, the question's wrong. And they look at me and I said, the question should be, should be what do I do when I make a mistake? <laughs> I said, because you'll make mistakes. And I said, the, the trick is to learn how to handle that. Yes. And you just keep going and we talk about it and all that kind of stuff. And then I said, and then I, let me give you the follow-up thing. When you get all done, when it's all over and everybody's telling you how good you were, mm-hmm. I said, you say one thing. You say thank you and then you shut up. <laughs> <laughs> You smile and you nod. That's what yeah, I tell and my students. You know, in your mind, you can think of a hundred things that you did wrong. They don't need to know that. Just say thank you and be quiet. Let it go. Yeah. It teaches them what to do under stress. It gives them different like coping techniques for how to get through the piece and have the most successful performance possible. So one of the things that we do is when we have the music, we break it down into the little sections and we associate a color with each one of those different phrases. So, you know, a simple one might, a simple song might only have two or three. Um, but then, you know, once you get to more complex music, you're, you're talking longer patterns of colors based right. off of how we highlight them. So I remember I had one student that was so nervous to get up on stage and play their piece. And I think they had maybe, I want to say like five to eight different little phrases, different colored sections that they were supposed to play through. And one of the things we tell them is that when you're up on stage and if you get lost and you forget where you're at, just jump to the next color that you remember. So now they're breaking it down. You know, most of the students, they might miss a measure or two or, you know, that kind of thing. But then they can jump to that next section and go right into it. Well, this one kid got up on stage with their, you know, five to eight sections memorized. Played the very first one, had a little pause, looked a little scared, jumped right to the last one and finished it. Skipped the whole song, got the (laughs) intro and the ending, and that was it. Got up on stage, stood up, smiled real big, did his bow, walked off. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody knew any better. (laughs) That's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. You don't know. That's, that's, you know, so it's, it's great. That's one of the things I've, I've, I've enjoyed working with the kids. Uh, You know, the thing that I miss, I think, is that, you know, because of, um, well, a variety of things in my life, but I haven't had done a student recital in over two years now and um and the kids miss it surprisingly enough the ones that grumbled about it the loudest are the ones that seem to miss it the most absolutely and uh and what i found um there's interesting at, at martial music we have you know so many different teachers teaching so many different styles of music and so many instruments and so on we have like five different guitar teachers down there and um so by my recitals were just my students only right and and uh, and I would set it up, you know, we'd have snacks at the end of the whole thing. And I'd fill that auditorium, you know, just I mean, I don't know if you ever saw it. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I always thought it was great. Yeah. And and I mean, we just pack them in there, practically have to hang people on hooks to get them all in. But we do it. And. Um, and what what happened was that, of course, Lansing is nothing much more than like a very big, small town. And so still, you know, and and um, uh, it was it, to me, it was interesting that that we had this core group of people. And of course, people come and go through throughout the, the years. But this core group of people that are coming and they're watching their kids play and they're watching somebody else's kids play. And and, and it becomes this, this its own little community. You know, and I saw I saw people make business deals there. 
you know, because it's, oh, your child takes from Roger too, you know, and next thing you know, they're having a conversation over cookies and cider or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I saw a lot of that. One, one, of my, one of the fun things that I did um, one time is I had a student who was about 11 or 12, and we were just talking about, he was getting ready to go to middle school. <clears throat> and in the course of all of that, the conversations that we had, he mentioned casually that he, he wanted to get good grades in middle, middle school, good grades in high school, so he could go someplace because he wanted to study journalism. Okay. That was something he already knew. Well, unbeknownst to him, the mother of one of my other students who was there, was the head of the journalism department at Michigan State. Aww. So, so we're eating cookies and drinking cider or whatever, and, and I went over and I kind of I pinned her buttonhole her there and I said, "Explain the situation." I said, "Would you be willing to take a couple of minutes just to meet this young man?" And she said, "Absolutely." So I introduced him and, and they sat down and she talked to him for about ten minutes. And I just, okay. isn't that cool? You know, that's so sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and so, so that. That's probably the most dramatic example, but I, I do know that at, at one point, it was kind of funny, at one point it was, um, there was, I had so many attorney's children involved in this thing, it looked like a, a, a mini version of the, of the Bar Association. I mean, was, <laughs> it, they were everywhere, you know, and, and they all knew each other, you know, so, so that it was It was so awesome. funny. Um, at our studio, a similar type thing happened. This was just like one day during lessons, we had a, a new family coming in, signing their kid up for lessons. And the mom is sitting there waiting in the waiting area while the kid's in the back. Meanwhile, while she's waiting, the her kid's friend from school walks in with their parents, so they get to chatting. And then this friend, or then her student's teacher walks in with her kid and they start chatting. And then the pediatrician walks in with his kids and they all start to, she's like, oh my gosh, does everybody take lessons here? <laughs> like, <laughs> she's like, everybody from all different areas of her life just happened to be all brought together in one moment. It was just so funny. It's so cool to see how those little connections happen. Right. And, and it's funny with, within the context of recitals or, or the lessons and such, to see how these people make connections on a completely different level. And of course, as you know, I mean, that's what makes the world go around. You know, it's that's that's where the benefits come in. Of if somebody knows you and they like you, and suddenly they need somebody that does what you do, you right. know, you know, right. it's just so it's that's that's always fun. It's another opportunity to, to network, and I think that's that's kind of nifty. So it's but it's fun, but it's also fun to watch these kids uh, grow up, and and uh, I, I get copies of pictures every every time we did a recital. You know, a lot of the kids or parents would take a picture and then they would either email it to me or they'd give me a, a physical photograph. And uh, and I came across one um, when we were moving and I was unpack unpacking a box and it was just a box of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> boxes of stuff. Yeah. And I took a look at it. And it was one of the, after one of these recitals and I was standing there with my arm around this little girl who was in the picture, maybe about 11 or 12. Um, and, and just kind of reminiscing because this little girl of 11 or 12 is right now a mom of a five-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's sure. like, wow, you know, time That's goes, so it, it, it really is. It's, it's a lot of fun. So teaching to me, I've, I've found over the years that, that, um, uh, of course, when you're seeking students, you know, the, the, the base, it's like a pyramid, the base of the pyramid, of course, is all the beginners and 
very tip top of that pyramid of that handful of, you know, right. exceptional, you know, people and so on. And I found over the years that I really, really, really get more gratification working with beginners than I do with the, with the advanced students. The advanced students are fun for a short time, but yeah. but I find that I'm I would be better suited like in a master class. If I was conducting a master class than than doing um, continuous lessons with them. And, right. But the little ones, I still, I, you know, surprisingly, I don't get tired of teaching hot cross buns and Mary Had a Little Lamb and all that kind of stuff because what accompanies that, of course, are the smiles and the sense of pride that these kids have and how much fun they're having. Yes. Yeah, so that's, to me, yes. it's like, you know, that's, that's the reason to do it right there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I work um, with a lot of the beginner kids. Like anytime I get an opening in my schedule, I almost always will get the really, really young ones that were great with like preschool age kids. So I get a lot of that four to six year olds and they're just so much fun. Like the games that we come up with to try to get the repetitions and to practice things or just the, the ideas that come off the top of their head. Um, they're just so cute. And then I also love that they don't have that fear a lot of times yet. Right. That they'll just make up new songs and just sing along with them. Um, and then you could just join in too, and it's just a grand time. It's so much fun. <laughs> and it teaches them the fun of the music, you know, and and uh, uh, and we can, there's plenty of time to get to the seriousness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, I, I, I taught for so many years with the, with the notion that I wanted my students to be good enough to go to college when the time came, if that's what they wanted, not necessarily that they should. But right. I wanted the choice to be theirs, not somebody else's. Right. But I'm well past that now. I don't care. Um, yeah. It's it's more like they don't want to go to school, and I'm not entirely sure they should anyway. Right. I think you gotta, you're going to have to convince me that you deserve to be there. Yeah. And um, and so anyway, um, I just find that that um, uh, I'm, my my focus now is more on having fun and and going back and and playing. Uh, a lot of old favorites. I have the kids go back and play old favorites. Now, one of the things that I like to do there is because the kids get impatient. You work a couple of weeks on a song, and you know they're ready to go on to the next song. Right, right, right. And and uh, so I tell them, okay, but every week we're going to play some old favorites. Right. Not my favorites, their favorites. They have to choose. They have to, you know. And so right. and we get get after it. But I find that we've learned that song technically mm-hmm. pretty much. So when they're playing an old favorite like that. That's when I can get into the musicality of it. Yeah. I can talk to them about, you know, and, and they're, they're not, it's not so, not so much of a burden anymore. They know right. they can play it. They know they've learned it. They know that we've moved on past it, but now right. we can go back to it and, and focus, you know, a little bit more on some of the finer details. You know, we got, you know, we've carved it out. Now we got to figure out how to, to flesh it out and make it something pretty. And yeah. uh, so that, that's that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed doing. So. Yeah, yeah, we so. like to do that too. I like to do that a lot too with my kids. Or on the flip side, one of the other things I like to do is like if we do give them a piece that is a level up or a level ahead, and then they look at it and they go, "Oh man, oh man, I can never play this. This is so hard." And you teach them one little chunk at a time, as they start putting it together and seeing it, that confidence and that courage and that excitement about it just oh, yeah. expands it just grows exponentially and it's so cool i think that um 
going about and, and seeing some of that with the kids, like you mentioned earlier that you felt like you had an obligation to perform. I think that's how I've always felt like I've given back. Um, once, you know, like you said, once you get to that certain level, you feel like you, you have to invest or you have to give or you have to do it. And, and I feel like that really has been where I've, where I've been able to give because, you know, like with my kids, like mine are so young, um, that like I had, none of them are even at the age where they can go to college sure. um, or they haven't even reached that. They may be in high school. Um, but like seeing them faced with something that is challenging, that is hard and watching them overcome that and build the confidence to know that, you know, they can do something that's hard. They can learn and they can work towards it. I feel like that is one of the greatest accomplishments and that is one of the greatest parts about being a music teacher is because you get to sit beside them side by side as you work that out and right. put together something incredible yeah I would, I would totally agree i would totally agree there are a lot of of um little side benefits like this that, that go along with with the job and uh, uh and it's it's easy at times to get discouraged when you can't somehow reach somebody and can't quite get it and and then all of a sudden this, another one comes along and they just brighten your day and you go okay this is why I do this you know and um, and I think about it and I think and it's interesting you know people ask me about well number one they want to know if I've had students who've gone on and you know made you know done some really cool stuff and well yeah I have and then and occasionally people ask about you know ever find anybody you can't teach as well it's not that I can't teach them. Just that they're not interested in learning, and yeah. <laughs> they, they don't yeah. want to. They don't want to do the work, and and uh, and you get to a point where you just kind of. For me, I kind of almost give up on them a little bit, and then I go, you know what? For the number of students, I can talk about this because the number of students that I have taught over the years, and and the proportionate number of students that fall into that category, yeah, it's minuscule. I mean, I could just about count them on the fingers of two hands, and and out of the thousands of students that I've worked with over the years. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's, I think, you know, it's, it, it, there's really not many like that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times what I found is that um, it's my inability to communicate as well as I would like. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the, uh, um, so the, the, the really the, the, if there's a blame to be put on any, it would be on me more than them. You know, they weren't learning in part because I just wasn't communicating what I wanted. Well, right. so, right. and I, I think it's a lot of that. I think it's a lot of that in in life in general. Certainly, it shows up in music. You know, just mm-hmm. you know, my, one of my one of my favorite one of the favorite things that I hate uh, uh, in, in some music teachers is when they tell a student to go home and practice this until it sounds better. Right. Uh, because it's that's doesn't mean anything. No. Yeah. No. There's you know it it absolutely doesn't have any meaning at all. You know, they don't know how to practice. They don't know what sounding better means. I mean, there's none of that that, <laughs> that, that that has any relevance to them at all. And so you have to kind of go, you know, into, uh, you know, show them how to practice. And and I've, I've said it before. I'm not if I'm not teaching them how to practice, I'm not teaching them how to play. I mean, it's yes. it's you know because they they're the ones that have to do the hard work. I got to show them how to do it. Yes. You know, so, yes. so that's one thing I think probably every musician could benefit from as if like when they started and if, if those first couple of years there was just an emphasis on teaching people how to practice yeah like 
I, for so, so many years, had no idea how to practice. And I, you know, I would, I hated it even at times because, like, I'm like, why am I doing this? This isn't accomplishing anything. Right. Um, and I remember, but I would do it. And I mean, I, I would, you know, mark off my practice sheet. <laughs> I would turn it in, you know, all this kind of stuff. But it, really, I had no idea of how to efficiently practice a piece. And I think that's such an important aspect to go into teaching and working on with a kid. Like parents, when they come and they're like, I'm sorry, we're just going to have to practice this. I'm like, great. That's why I'm here. Let me help you. Right. Yeah. And and one of the things I do, of course, with the students, and I know everybody does, is we'll, we'll just take a simple phrase or, or a simple, just a simple um, uh, physical motion, some sort of aspect of their technique, mm-hmm. and we'll just focus on that. They may only have two or three notes related to that activity, but we'll spend right. a lot of time on that activity. And then I'll say, okay, I want you to repeat this. Right. With the little kids, and that's the thing. The other thing is that I'll have parents, they'll bring some six-year-old to me. Remember, you have, and they'll, they'll tell the kid in front of me, remember, you have to practice every day for half an hour. And it, yeah. No. <laughs> and I go, well, you know, how about, I have a different way of doing it, you know. And what I do is I just tell them, I want you to repeat this. Play this song five times or play this line four times, you know, every day. And then sit down and maybe make up your own song or something like that. Exactly. And I tell the parents, you're going to tell them to practice for a half an hour, and all they're going to do is kick and scream. Yes. You know, and before the guitar is even warm in their hands, they're going to say, is it a half an hour yet? You know, you're going to be playing that game for every, every day for 30 minutes. You're going yeah. to be playing the game, you know, and everybody's going to be angry. Let's do yep. it this way instead. It's but miserable. The thing is, I'm sorry? Oh, it's miserable when you try to, like, enforce just a strict time yeah. on something like that, especially with a young kid. Yeah, so the idea, but the other thing is that that it gives them, um, it gives the kids uh, permission to stop. Mm-hmm. I've done my five repetitions. I don't have to go keep going. Mm-hmm. As opposed to if it's for a half an hour, God, I've played this a million times, and i got another 20 minutes to go, you know, and it's just, right. it's just never ending at that point. So right. I tell them, as we get better and as we know more stuff, practice sessions will, will get longer. Now, once they're older and I can, and I, so I introduced a whole concept of practicing kind of a spoonful at a time, you know. And so by the time they're really doing the heavy-duty stuff, they understand what practice means, you know. Mm-hmm. And we and, and we kind of go from there. But I don't have a, a set lesson where I say, okay, in order to practice, you got to do this and this and this. I did that at college level. But, uh, um, sure. yeah, I, and I had to. I was surprised at kids coming in that, that really had no idea what practice was all about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, well, guitar mostly is, has has been tr- historically has been a self-taught thing. Not many people had uh, good, strong teachers, you know, in their background when they brought a guitar to school, yeah. and and so I mean they played well in spite of that, not because of it. I think mostly. Right. So that right. that lack of discipline is, you know, I get kids that come in there that played the Dickens out of their instrument, couldn't read a lick. Honestly, yeah. did not yeah. know, didn't know a whole note from a quarter note. I mean, really, you know. Yeah. And and uh, and so I had to teach them the, the the foundation, the fundamentals of just note reading, you know. And uh, so so that was that was difficult. But they they, they knew stuff. They played. Yeah. You know, I, I I get kids that would come in there and could not. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. Could not remember the names of the notes and spaces on the staff. Yeah. But they could play all kinds of scales and the accompanying modes. Yes. Yeah. Just about yeah. everything. And. 
but they <laughs> they knew all the stuff. They just didn't know how to write it down. They didn't know how to read it when it was on paper. Mm-hmm. And so so uh, that that was always tricky. And but I had to teach them also how to practice. You know, and I would I have and it's practicing is is uh, is difficult. You know, once you learn how to do it and and establish some things, and and it also give yourself time to play the stuff you want to play. Right. Right. And that's the other part of it, of course. So. It's definitely a skill. It's definitely a skill that has to be learned. Right, right. So, and that's that's one of the nice things about working with young children or young students in general, I suppose, is that I can introduce that through early early pieces, you know, elementary pieces, and mm-hmm. and we can talk about that. We can talk about, um, you know, just I can introduce that stuff. Like I said, feed it to them a spoonful at a time until yeah. they get to the point when they're working on really complex stuff, but they're they're. But their appreciation and knowledge of how to practice it has right. grown accordingly, so that works out a lot better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I know. Whenever parents want to set like a time limit on there, I'm like, I really all I want them to do is, and I do the exact same thing you do. Like I get whatever piece I give them, I tell them how many times I want them to play it each day. Yeah, and that's what we set. And I say, parents, if you really have to watch clock for this, then maybe roughly double their age in minutes. So if I have a six-year-old, 12 minutes, maybe. You know, gotcha. five-year-old, 10 minutes, so on and so forth. And I say, you really don't want to expect much more than that um, as far as practicing on a daily basis. Now, that's the stuff, you know, that we mostly give them, and that's a little bit of fun time now. If they, they play that 10 minutes, and then, you know, an hour later, they want to go play again, that's fine. Don't stop them by any yeah. means. But you can't really expect them to focus for much longer than that either. Right. right. And it, start, it starts being counterproductive sometimes even. So now do you teach only piano? I do piano and guitar, um, just beginning guitar. And then piano I can take up through intermediate. Um, and then I've taught some very beginning voice lessons as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so nothing on the clarinet. No, actually, that's the funny thing. <laughs> that's what's funny about it is, you know, sure. went through to my performance and then really found myself loving working with younger kids and became more focused on piano. Just fell in love with it. Huh. So, yeah, I, I, I see that a lot. Yeah. We'll start one instrument and, and because the piano was a requirement, they end up falling in love with the, with the piano and, and doing much more with it. So. Um, so that's, yeah, okay. So, so I didn't know, now how, how big of a, a student load do, were you carrying before COVID? I was working part-time. Um, so our studio does run things a little bit differently than most. Um, you kind of, you become a, a full employee of the studio. So you're not renting the space. You're paid hourly by the studio, um, whether your student comes or not, which is really great. Granted, you make a little bit less than you would if you were, you know, running the finances yourself, but you're trading that for not having to advertise your students or cover the cost if they decide not to play or pay for it, you know, so on and so forth. So my boss has always kind of hoped I would go to full time, but um, because I was pregnant when she hired me, I really only wanted to work part time and be able to stay home with my daughter. So I think... Last year, I was up to about, well, before COVID, I was up to about 30 students. Okay. Um, and these tend to be 30-minute lessons? 30-minute lessons, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have uh, I have a couple of students that I teach for an hour, but 
that's that's very rare and mm-hmm. uh, so most most of my students are 30 minutes i find that once i get into a rhythm i i, I can get a lot done in 30 minutes yeah so same and then well i have like one i had one or two students that they would take a 30 minute piano lesson and then they'd go straight into a 30 minute guitar lesson oh. so i would have them for an hour but kind of broke it up between uh-huh. being able to switch instruments kind of change gears a little bit helped um, of course my oldest student is about 14 so okay sure a little younger too <laughs> <laughs> so now when you when you're working with the very young kids are you doing anything that's remotely like the the uh, the suzuki system or what kind of a system are you using that we use the uh, my piano adventure series by the oh. neighbors okay. um and so it has like the very, very young kids. They have two separate books. One is their writing book, which has some theory and games in it. Okay. And then the other one is what, what they play out of. Okay. Um, and so, you know, we kind of go back and forth between those a little bit, learning a piece to play, having a little activity even in the playbook because it comes with a CD. So sometimes they just have to clap or sing along. Gotcha. Whatever's on the CD, and then we'll switch over and we'll do some writing exercises um, and some games type of thing. So, and and, and this is like like pre-K and then early. Like the youngest, what we take is four. Okay. Um, yeah, so that would be the youngest. We would take four, and then six-year-olds up to six would be in that initial book a lot of times. Okay. And that and that those books work pretty good. Oh, they're fantastic. They, we've had a lot of success with them, and they also have a lot That's of supplemental um, material too, which has been really fun. So, like especially for some of those kids who it's hard to keep their interest, or you know, they just might need a little more stimulation. You add a third book of just fun songs in, you know, and you kind of treat that as their dessert in the lesson. Sure. Um, then you can have a real good time with that too. And they get real excited about learning to play happy birthday or, you know, different little folk songs. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I understand that. I just, um, uh, my kids, you know, it's, it's, we, we've had the lesson stuff and then I try to bring in different pieces here and different pieces there. And, you know, and it's easy, for example, at the end of the year, cause I can bring in the Christmas songs, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, uh, they like, you know, you know, they can play Jingle Bells and Silent Night. I mean, they're pretty happy. You know? So that's Absolutely. that's that's a lot of fun. And they save that music. I mean, if they're with me for a couple of years, every year, those will come out and we go through them again, and they just they enjoy playing them. And so that's one of my favorite times too. Is that we always do that. We always give them a Christmas book every year. Uh-huh. And I, again, I like the idea of how we go about it because instead of giving them something more challenging for that, we give them a book that we feel like they could master that entire book in that Christmas season. So then by the time Christmas comes around, they have an entire book of Christmas songs they can play for their family. And we always tell them, this is your chance to put on your own private recital. And your goal is to play all of these songs for your family at your Christmas party. And so then the kids and the parents come back with like pictures and recordings of the kids playing for everyone. You know, and they all have at least like five to eight songs that they can play through pretty fluently. And it's just so fun. They just love it. The kids love it. The parents love it. And it just encourages them to keep going through for the next year. I, I've, in the past, have taken, had the students, 
like go through the you know the various books that were for sale because they want to buy a Christmas book, you know. Yeah. And and so, and and the parents, the kids will look at one and go, I want to do that one, you know. And the parents will go, Well, that one looks really easy. How about if we get ones more like this? And that's when I jump in. I go, No, 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 no. You know, we want to do easy ones. Yeah. You know. And and they kind of look at me and I said, You know, I tell them I said, You know, Christmas comes around. You know, we play Christmas music for a few weeks a year. And that's it. You know. And so I don't want songs that they're going to have to spend, you know, the entire six week season on just right. to learn one song. Right. You know, I'd like to, you know, have them just play simplified versions of these. And right. I always get another book next year or the year after. But it's just right. the idea, just picking up the book and playing music and, you know, let them let them play the easy ones. They've, they've earned the right. <laughs> to play those easy ones. I know that last lesson that we have before Christmas is always fun. Because the only thing we do is play through every song in the book. Yeah. We just play every single Christmas song. And we'll do duets with it, or we'll sing along with it. And we'll invite the parents back, and they'll sing along with it. Oh, it's how just, fun. It's a grand time. It's really, really fun. I want to thank Ashley for chatting with me. And thank you for taking the time to listen to Ashley and I as we just sit around and talk shop. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please join me again next time on Creative Conversations with Roger Humphrey.